been in the Lower East Side for? I've been in this apartment no. since ni- uh, since 2002. Wow. So 12 years. Do you have some sort of like good rent situation or you just lo- do you just like the location um, enough? Well, I have a giant apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like 900 square feet. Yeah. I pay 3250 which is pretty good. Um, yeah. I mean, if you live outside of New York City, that like is horrendous. Yeah. But like for here, it's great. Yeah. And this apartment has... I've had like 15 roommates all rotating. Like this was once a room... I had like two in my Oh, you room. railroaded it. Yeah. 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 And like, um, uh, it was like a halfway house for when people broke up with someone mm. or when they like were in between leases, they yeah. would come and stay here. Um, my friend Jordan was uh, getting ready to get his doctorate and needed a place to live that was inexpensive. So we got a single bed, put it in my room, which I'll show you later. Um and uh, he and I shared a room together. Mm-hmm. Then my boyfriend had like sublet his apartment um, on Airbnb, and so it was a three of us in one room. Yeah, and uh, there's always just been like a rotating cast of people, and so it's had like some real history. And people like do not want me to leave. They have like so many memories. Like people have gotten engaged here, um, and just like so many parties. I had the horrors play in this oh, wow. room one time. Yeah. Um, this is not this is not a large room. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, it was this crazy. is like they could fit in this room. Yeah, and that's about it. Really. Yeah, the sound guy prepared it like it was. They were playing Wembley Stadium, yeah. and I was just like, "What are you doing? I have neighbors. Oh my god!" Um, and then a friend of mine had a smoke machine going out the window, so the fire department showed up because they thought there was a fire in the building. Yeah. And yeah, so anyway been here for a long time yeah that, that's funny because i you know i've been god i've probably been in about 10 places since then it, it's yeah. Yeah, i mean i which is i think it probably more of a standard new york experience is just kind of moving from from neighborhood to neighborhood but yeah um i mean what, what do you what do you what are your impressions as far as you know 10 10 years i mean how what what have the biggest changes to the neighborhood been well interestingly enough it was like way more um I guess like way more uh, arty and whatever in down. Yeah, in like yeah. 2002, like there was cafes that were barely like, you know, it's it was where kids went and maybe there was a bagel or whatever, but there were, it, they didn't have to like pay a lot of money for yeah. the rent, so there weren't really high expectations yeah. for like performances. Um, There's a lot more... Um, I'm sorry for using this term, but young people living in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're old enough now. We can use that yeah. term. <laughs> yeah, like I had a few friends that I knew from just like the party circuit that were living in this building. Yeah. And um, like Corey Feldman lived down the hall. It was like a much different <laughs> environment. Also, uh, Clinton Street Baking Company. I don't know if you're familiar with I'm that not. place. So it's like the it's so famous right now, and like you have to wait two and a half hours to get in. Okay. Um, do they do cronuts or is they that... do pancakes? And um, they're like really well known for the pancakes. Plus, they were written up in like Japanese nylon one time, and <laughs> so it's like a nonstop line of like really fastidious Japanese girls who are like so precious. Um, oh, people visiting the states, and like that's the place they have to that's go. That's the because, destination. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so when I first moved here, me and my friends would go and we'd sit there for like three hours at a time hmm. and we'd be like one of 
a few tables in the place and now it's just like so huge and crazy plus they're opening up all these like giant buildings around here mm. that are so vacant and there's like 15 apartments vacant in my building hmm. so it's like a weird different situation i feel like it's going to come back because bushwick is getting so expensive and brooklyn's getting you think so brooklyn expensive? people are going to start moving back into my yeah. yeah that's yeah. wow yeah i don't know what that does to, to the economy yeah. when that starts happening where so, do you live sorry oh uh, no 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 I'm, I'm i'm in astoria which is also going undergoing some interesting changes mm-hmm. you know it's like it's like oh we've we've got gay people there now like the rents are about to just totally skyrocket all my married friends moved out there like girls that i lived with here they yeah. got married and like moved out to astoria and had kids and all this but stuff. it's such a weird it's like a block by block because you know traditionally you, you think of queens and it and it is suburban i mean it's kind of like a place where you can go and have a family and then you but but they were telling us uh you know we just moved into a place in I think like October and you know avenue to avenue they're like oh yeah you're on the couples avenue if you go one if you go one avenue north like that's where all the basically where all the single people live oh. so we're watching it sort of the neighborhood change kind of piece by piece but but again like I this is it seems like the Lower East Side Alphabet City a little bit too it's it's definitely changed in the last couple of years but it seems like there is some vestige of old new york you know of, of something you know there's some of the old bodegas or some and i don't I have no idea how these places manage to survive as the rent skyrockets everywhere else they're mob fronts you think so they're all like drug fronts <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. yeah i mean i've always been convinced that clinton street baking company is like a mob front or something because they only take cash they don't take credit yeah. cards so anytime there's somewhere that only takes credit card uh, only takes cash i i'm always suspect yeah yeah. So, 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 uh, 2002, you said, mm-hmm. so that was, you, you got the job at spin and you moved out here. Yes. Much? So I, I was actually working at VH1 at the time and, uh, living on my brother's couch and I had been for about two years and he was losing his mind. And then I met, um, I had a chance meeting with, uh, I was out to dinner with my friend Gideon and we ran into, um, his friend Lizzie and, Nikki, his friends mm-hmm. Nikki and Lizzie. Um, and we ended up having dinner together, and I was saying how I was trying to move out and find an apartment, mm. and she's and Lizzie was like, oh, I am too. And we had literally just met that day. And then we made plans to go to Coachella together to see if we could <laughs> handle each other for extended periods of time. If you can time. do Coachella with somebody, like, that's Yeah, it was, it. like, yeah. probably the first or second Coachella. So yeah. we decided to see if we could handle each other for an extended period of time. And if we could, then we would be great roommates. And so uh, it worked out. She found this place. And we moved in here together. And uh, I introduced her to a boyfriend. To her boyfriend, Mark Spitz, actually. Um, and... Uh, and then they got together about a year and a half later and moved in together, and that's and now they're broken up, but whatever. Um, well, it's, you know, 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Shit happens over 10 years. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, and then her friend Nikki, who I had a dinner with that night, too, ended up moving here after a while. So I, I, I want to talk about that, actually, because, you know, as I was saying to you before we, we turned the mics, you know, I was, I, was, I was reading Mark's book, and I was like, oh. Yeah, this is weird, like reading about you know about these these people who I knew knew ten years ago. Yeah. Um, and it sound it sounded like you got that you got the spin job through like instant messages. I did. 
I did. That's, um, yeah. That doesn't happen. How did that? Oh my goodness! I, you know, it's so funny. I, it was like prom night, and uh, I was in. I had been er- interning at ABC.com mm-hmm. for a while. Uh, when it was actually at AOL at the time. Okay. Um. So they had like a kids section of ABC, and so I was interning there. Um. And the day of prom, I got a call from the boss, and they're just like, "We are no longer allowed to have high school kids mm. intern for us. It has to be all college kids." And I hadn't set up my college thing yet. I hadn't decided where I wanted to go, and I knew I wanted to take a first semester off. So I was out of a, an internship mm-hmm. and really liked Spin Magazine yep. and just went on like AOL's member directory and typed in Spin Magazine to see if anyone in the occupation line to see if anyone came up, and Mark Spitz did. So I aimed him, and I was like, I want to intern for you. Yeah, And that was it. It was like a couple, it was like I pursued him for a couple days and tried to be as clever as I could. And, you know, yeah. It, it was a weird, you know, it was, it was, it was a weird time too. Cause I, I was, I was having this conversation with somebody recently where, you know, I was like, when, when I, when I first started doing that, you know, and I was probably people listening don't know, I assume I, you know, I know, I know I, I, I met you because I was an intern over there for, mm-hmm. for Karen. Um, but it was at this time. I feel like, yeah, again, I feel like such an old man saying this, but like it was at this time where um, it almost felt like writing for a website was a demotion. Yeah, seriously. Right? I mean, that was, if you wrote a really good piece, it made it into the magazine. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I mean, like, uh, it was, it was like a huge gold star if you got to write for the magazine. And it was like one of those like big honors, which, you know, it, it was because at the time, like the internet was kind of the ghetto. I mean, and like, Spin didn't—they had no idea what they were doing, really. With that. they were trying to figure stuff out with that website, right? Yeah, I they mean, were. everybody, every magazine at least was trying to figure out what to do with the website. I remember Peter Gaston telling me he was like begging the editors to write for the website, yeah. and they like just felt like they didn't have time yeah. or like there was no point. This whole internet thing is not going anywhere, type of thing. Um, and so, the, you, you know, I don't want to say that the website didn't know what it was doing or where it was going. It just didn't have the support that it needed. Well, nobody knew, and most sites still don't, certainly like most magazine websites still don't really know how to make money off of it. But at that point, nobody knew how much content we can give away for free, you know, yeah. like like what we can actually put on the website. So they were they were creating this sort of like supplemental stuff and it wasn't as good. Again, if it was yeah. really good, it was going to go into the magazine. Yeah. Well, there like there weren't ads on websites really yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um so it wasn't like the it wasn't like the website was generating any extra income for the magazine and so they I think they yeah, like they felt like if it was good enough it should have gone in the magazine. Yeah. Like we've got like it was like they they felt obligated almost to have yeah. to have to have some sort of web presence at that point. But the, the you know, the irony of it now is like um all of the magazine stuff, like all my, you know, everything I wrote for a magazine is sort of gone now. Yeah. Like every, everything you've written for a website is up there, you yeah. know, it's saved for posterity, but, um, it, it turns out that the magazines were the really kind of ethereal content. Yeah. They were the dinosaurs, weren't they? Yeah. And now, yeah. And, and yeah. And they're just, they're, they've just, they've just completely, completely vaporized. You can find them if you go to Amazon though, and you search. And you well, can you can, yeah, them. I guess you could physically go and buy a magazine and maybe scan they have it. have it digitally up Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, um, oh, do you want to be a rock journalist? Was that was the, 
Goal uh, or you just... I liked music. Yeah. I liked uh, rock music. Um, and I was always like in the spin chat room uh, mm-hmm. on AOL. Yeah. Um, and I just like didn't really know what I wanted to do. I enjoyed writing. Um, I enjoyed just listening to music and I didn't really have like I thought maybe I wanted to go into graphic design or painting mm. or something um I had gone and I uh, applied to a bunch of schools like aimlessly and ended up going to FIT um because it was like twelve hundred dollars a semester at the time which is like embarrassingly cheap um but yeah no I didn't even like want to be a rock journalist at all huh. I just like kind of wanted to I my parents <laughs> my parents kind of like sat me down and were like your grades are really bad Mm -hmm. you're not going to get into Yale you're not going to get into like NYU or whatever figure out a plan B it's 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 a funny thing you know I I felt that I felt similar when I I got in into technology you know and I was I was like writing for these like prominent places and you know and certainly there were like lots of kids out there who were you know would have given sort of a you know the right arm to to be to be in that position and you know spin was spin was like that a little bit for mm-hmm. me you know and that was spin was you know i was um i actually didn't intern there until i i, I was actually already like a college college graduate at that point and i was trying to figure out what the hell to do with my life and i just mm-hmm. sent up yeah i went to like barnes and noble and found a bunch of addresses and just like sort of sent them off in the ether um you know i, I romanticized it i i definitely did like i wanted to you know and and, and i you know i think that was an one of the things about Mark's book, I think that really like struck me was just like, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. But it was, but man, what bad timing, right? <laughs> to, well, you were there at a good time. But I mean, in terms of, um, you know, being, you know, wanting to be like, wanting to be like Lester Bangs, you know, wanting to like, of really like romanticizing rock journalism because like everything else in the world's, yeah, and it's still undergoing this change, but it was really trying to figure out what, the future is i don't know that they have figured that out and obviously no one's figured that out you know pitchfork has knocked them off a little bit but (laughs) i don't where where do you where do you see rock journalism right now i mean i feel like rock journalism's in the term is in lists (laughs) it's but it's buzzfeed (laughs) yeah it's like all lists you know and it's quick and it's bitey and you know as much as i enjoy reading long form anything it's not it's not people who are interested in rock music or interested in music really Mm -hmm. don't have the attention span and and this is a very big generalization but a lot of us are into music because we have like ADD we don't have like the concentration for like anything that is kind of like the written word so much yeah you're not gonna read war and peace exactly yeah um but like music has like this wonderful effect that like you feel like you're experiencing a million different things at Mm. once and so i think that's like why it appeals to people who have like this kind of need to constantly consume um and so music journalism i think has like kind of moved towards like the the bites you know, it's not like long form like it no. used to be. It's the, you're not doing an in-depth profile on Radiohead anymore, especially because like there's no artist that is as secretive as they used to be. 
Yeah, you 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 almost can't be at this point. But you know, maybe you were were you were you ahead of the curve on that? While the rest of us, you know, were all these like while all these white guys were sort of sitting around and you know wanted to you know wanted to you know write a three thousand word story. I mean, you you realize that there was this this position for an influencer, right? To to be the person just talking about bands. Well, I didn't realize it. It was like I, I was just like I'm I guess you're talking about my my either my column or my blog. Well, I just I really, you know, that's that's sort of what that that's what I um that that's kind of what I associate you with is is being this you know, uh, uh, this personality who was around who was really talking about these bands before they they got big. I mean, it's really it's it's funny like um there's a bar in my neighborhood I go to, and there's a um, uh, this like 65 year old guy who we're friends with. He's um, you know he's 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 like a big Dylan fan, and the only other band that he really likes is The Killers. <laughs> and like to this day, like and he'll play like he'll play like Loving Spoonful. He'll play Dylan, and then he'll play The Killers. And mm-hmm. there's something about this band that really struck him. And to this day, every time I hear The Killers, I think of you. <laughs> I think of myself as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean you were, you know, and and that's and and it seems to, I, I think that you, I don't know if you saw that being your role, but that's what I associate with you is like is you know there, there's these there's these bands who I think of like you know you were there you were doing that and you were the ones who were, you were telling all of these people reading this magazine that that's what they should be listening to. Yeah, I mean, I guess like part part of it is um, I just really like. Love. I mean, I loved music, and I loved like being around people that loved music as well. And it was very much like the scene that I was in, where it was like so accessible. Mm. You know, music was just rock shows were so accessible. And You're like, in the Lower East Side. I mean, like, yeah. I, I, it's funny. Like, I was I was walking around the neighborhood and trying to remember. I'm like, I'm sure I could look this up online, but like. I'm like, I know Shanae's was right around here. Yeah, Shanae's, like, I mean, it's still there. It's yeah. just closed, and it hasn't been open for, like, seven years. Yeah. Um, but it was just, like, a, it was, like, kind of a coincidence because I just wanted to, like, party, you know? <laughs> and, and it just so happened that, like, I got to, like, go out and go see all these bands, yeah. and I never really... I, I never really meant to identify bands or anything mm. in any other way than liking them. And um, and it just kind of like, uh, I don't know, I just, I just really wanted to get out of the house a lot of the times. And it allowed me to find all these bands that I really liked. And I didn't know that people weren't doing that as well. But you got to be, and, and I, you know, and, and again, I think this is, I think like, blogging and online journalism is sort of or what we call online journalism you know like buzzfeeds of the world have sort of come around to this but you got to be an avatar for people yeah like you know yeah. you got and that's and that's i mean that that's the greatest job in the world right is you got to be these kids reading this magazine in dayton or something <laughs> you got to be the one going out and hanging out with these bands yeah i mean it was like i was definitely like that's a really good way of putting it. I was an avatar, and like, I yeah, I got to hang out with the bands. But you have to remember also, they were all like twenty two year olds, yeah. and I was a twenty two year old. Yeah. You know, so like, for them, I was like the music journalist 
that was their age. Hmm. And so for them, it was like, oh, my God, we have a friend. And I was like, oh, my God, I have a friend because all I wanted was friends. Like, I wanted to, like, look at cute boys and have friends. And so I became friends with all the, you know, musicians or whatever. Never hooked up with any of them. I was actually celibate my entire time at Spin. I, you know, <laughs> I, and I, I don't mean any offense by this, but that shocks me. I know. I, I, I probably everyone would be here shocked to hear to hear I that. I know. I think I had sex one time, and it was with like this boy that was like my best friend's twin brother, who I met while like at a party, you know, and like I was celibate, and uh, but I just like. Because I, I don't know, I grew up looking like a little, I was like flat chested and looked like a boy. So I like never really felt like any yeah. boys would like me. And so um, when I would go out, I was just like so happy and like just wanted to be friends with everybody yeah. and was like, meet my girlfriend. She's really cute. Have fun. You know, type of thing. And um, and so I think I was like non-threatening in that way. It, it, it's funny too. Like it, it's it's such a weird, it, it's weird how the, the table sh- shifted to such a point where um you know they they were looking at i guess you know these people who are considering themselves rock journalists as being sort of the stodgy establishment maybe that's that in a way that's kind of like that's what that turned into at the at the tail end of that right yeah i mean i guess like maybe i was like a uh signifier of the changing of the guard yeah you know where things because i was like very internet i was like all internet yeah um, you you had a yeah you you I mean an avatar yeah I guess avatar is a good way to describe it because you had you had a nickname you had a handle yeah Ultra Girl which I got when I was like sixteen. Hey everybody, just a quick break in the action to ask you to help RUL stay free by downloading and completing a short anonymous survey. Uh, it will take no longer than five minutes. Your answers will help our show match with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of our podcast and listeners like you. Listeners who complete the survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Uh, they promise not to share or sell your email address, and they won't send you an email unless you win. So go to www.podsurvey.com slash R-I-Y-L, show that you're listening to right now that's www three w's a dot podsurvey.com slash r-i-y-l to take the survey and to uh, enter to win a 100 amazon gift card that's it and uh, thanks to everybody who has, has done that uh, so far now now back to the interview So I had no other choice. You know, it was the second most popular yeah. name in the world, in like America. So I had like no choice than to like go as something else. Yeah. Like no one could spell Lewitin and no one could remember Lewitin or know how to pronounce it. Ultra Girl, they could remember. I mean, that, 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 that's interesting because, you know, I, I sort of, I, I guess I always assumed, I, you know, I, I assumed that it was a sort of savvy decision that, you know, you've, you've kind of branded yourself. It was an accident. It was an accident. <laughs> it was an accident. I was just like, honestly, just, I don't know. Things, people feel like I'm like some, like I branded or anything. Yeah. And he you, was, That you were a marketing genius as all of this was no, happening? Yeah, nothing. I like to think of myself as a marketing genius, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm like the most accidental you were r- anything. Right place, right time. Right, all the time. Right nickname. Exactly. Yeah. Right place, right time, like big smile all the time you know and uh and it was like but i i guess at the same time like people were becoming like 
around my time and like afterwards, mm-hmm. people were becoming more and more avatars. You know, like Friendster launched while we were at Spin. Mm-hmm. MySpace launched shortly after that while we were at Spin. Because you and I were there for like a year together, right? A little under, yeah. It was probably like six months or something. But, right. Yeah. So like 2003? Sounds about right, yeah. Um. So that's like MySpace and Friendster yeah. simultaneously. Yeah. And so like people were slowly becoming avatars. And I think like it was one of those things that was happening. Um, and then you know, and then, so so you know, Village Voice comes along at one point. You get <laughs> you get on the cover of that. That was weird. What, what? Tell me the story behind that. So it was supposed to be a night out column with Trisha Romano, who uh-huh. I knew, um, like you know, from Saya Michaels. Like yeah. we had seen each other at parties, and it was like very like kiss on their cheek type of thing. So she was doing um, a night out with for her column, and it was supposed to be because like I had my new record label, and uh, and like all these things were going on, mm-hmm. and so it's supposed to be very simple. And then I guess it kind of turned into this like interesting thing because she had interviewed a couple people around me who had like very not around me, but like a couple people around who had very specific opinions about me. Hmm. And so it became this, like, longer piece that I really did not know was going to be a cover until it was, like, a day before that it Hmm. was a cover. Not even a day before, but, like, I got called up one day and they were like, we need you to do another photo shoot because it's going to be a cover. And I'm like, um, wait, what? Yeah. And, like, at the time, like, it never registered in my mind. Like, it didn't register in my mind that I was in, like, New York Magazine and that was special. It didn't register in my mind that I was on the cover of Village Voice and that was special. Yeah. It never, like, I, all I wanted to do was, like, accomplish enough that my parents wouldn't give me a hard time so that I could marry a non-Jew if I wanted to, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, like, all of a sudden, all these things are happening. I'm on the cover of the Village Voice and I'm getting calls from my parents, like, freaking out yeah. because... My mom's brother is calling her saying, like, you know, we have rabbis in the community that are seeing this cover of Village Voice, and your daughter is there with her boobs out like nothing, and, you know, how could you let this happen? So my mom's calling me up, yelling at me about it, and I, like, my my intern is, like, uh, Nick Snow was, like, was like if I was a parent and I saw this I would turn my kids eyes away you know it's like all these things I was it was and Nick meant it in like the nicest way he was like that's a crazy cover yeah and when I shot it it didn't seem that crazy yeah but the yeah. like the guy that was like the photographer like accented accentuated my boobs as that's as as they will yeah. as they want to do because he was like really into like uh japanese art and stuff like but also you know boobs yeah i mean yeah yeah so he like accentuated my boobs and i wish he had ex- like de-accentuated my everything else like i yeah. i was like a little bit chubby at the time to say the least and so um yeah so that was 
Interesting. Anyway, so yeah, it was on the cover of Village Voice, and it was like... What was the headline again? It was uh, like... It was In Defense of Ultra Girl. Yeah, which is... It, 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 you know, I, I I don't think it's to the same level, but I, you know, I certainly... You know, I, I I had the experience like at Engadget. I had the experience of for the first time in my life of realizing that like, oh, maybe I didn't know I was a polarizing character. I mean, that's <laughs> a weird. You know, like you know, I was I was hosting their podcast for a while, and it's like all of a sudden you realize that like, oh yeah, maybe if you get up to a high enough level, there are just going to be a lot of people who just don't like you. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean I got teased a lot in high school for various reasons. For but it's such like, a different. But it's different, right? No, no, it's not. It's, no, it's, it's not. It's not. It's like I got teased so much because my parents were foreign, my boobs were small, you know, like all these things that are like so inconsequential, but like at the same time, like they mean everything yeah. to you. Um, and, you know, I got teased, but at the same time, I had like a lot of friends. So mm-hmm. it was like a weird kind of juxtaposition. And like as an adult, it kind of carried mm. over and. It was what it was, but actually one of the most, one of the great, the best pieces of advice and one of like the things that like helped me the most mm-hmm. through like all the hate that I got because there was so much shit on my yeah. blog with people like posting bummer shit um, was from Alex Papadamus who, you know, was, was an yeah. editor at the time. He was like, I wouldn't worry these people criticizing you would like a bum's asshole to get where you are. And I was like, oh, that's really nice of you yeah. to say. Yeah, that's, yeah, I guess, yeah, that, and that's what, it, I mean, that's that's kind of what I was getting at earlier was, you know, I, I, people, if, if you know, if, if they think you're not paying your dues, if they think that you don't have the same sort of devotion <laughs> to a, a certain subject that they, they do. And then, you know, and, and rock journalism was, was like that at that point, right? Yeah. It was. I mean, I didn't listen to Pavement enough, I guess. So it was like, <laughs> yeah. And I, like, didn't listen to Bob Dylan enough or at all. So, you know, I was – it was just – I grew up with, like, British rock being my thing. So, I mean, you know. Yeah. I listened to a lot of that going the bunny man. Okay. Sure. See? I have this yeah. giant – I made that. You've got the Joy Division uh, I pillows. I made these. I made that. Yep. I made that. I hung these up. I made my chairs. I remember this from, well, I remember, is this the raster baiting thing? Yes. I remember that from Spin. Yeah. I remember the raster baiting thing. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, my thing was like Brit pop, but no one gave yeah. a fuck about that. They just wanted, you know, pavement. So, so, so where, do, so, you know, where do you, where, where do you go from there? What's, what's a, what's the next step after, after the Spin thing? Uh, oh, I got a book deal. Yeah. Oh, um, you did the iPod book. Yeah, um, yeah. The Pocket DJ. Yeah. And that was cool. Um, I got paid okay. And. Um, but but again, you know, was that. I, it seems like another instance of like for a lot of people that would have been the goal. Was that the goal for you? No. Which they is crazy, crazy, right? <laughs> Which is like, oh, I'm writing for Spin and that's not quite what I expected. And oh, well, now I've got a book deal and that's not really what I was yeah, no. going for. It was like one of those things where. Like, Mark Spitz's agent wanted him to write it or something, like, it was just, like... You got Mark Spitz's sloppy seconds? Basically, like, Simon & Schuster had approached Mark, I think. I think that's what happened. Approached Mark about doing it. Mark didn't want to do it, and he said, why don't you ask Ultra Girl? And so they, you know, my agent was like, do you want to do this? And I was like, okay. And I didn't even have to submit a proposal Hmm. or anything. I just did it. And I got paid okay. The book 
I can show you. I know there was like controversy one time on Gawker about how many copies I sold, but I can show you the paperwork that says I sold like 40,000 or 50,000 uh-huh. copies. I was getting checks up until like three years ago yeah. for it. What, what, what was the controversy? Um, they debated whether or not I had actually sold 38,000 okay. copies. Because I claimed it, but I guess they couldn't really figure it out. But I think, you know, basically at this book expo, I uh, sold like the 50,000 copies or something were picked yeah. up. And it included Urban Outfitters, so they picked up a shit ton yeah. and whatever. Um, but yeah, so I got this book deal, and then I got a record deal, um, starting my own record label. Yeah. My friend Rob Stevenson, who had signed The Killers um, after I was like, you better sign this band. They're going to be the biggest band you ever signed. <laughs> um, he had encouraged me to start a record label in you know, a singles label in my bedroom. And he's like, you know, I'll help you out wherever you want. I mean, he and I were like spray painting the covers while like at his like Jersey home. And basically the concept was these were singles coming out of my bedroom that were, you know, handmade packaging, limited edition, 250 copies. Somehow it turned into like a record deal where I was getting a record label. Um, so I was getting like phone calls from like Lior Cohen. So and... you were, yeah, it was like an imprint under a larger. Yeah. Who, who was it with? Um, well, I had been pursued by Warner's. Okay. They were going to offer me a nice amount of money. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know what I was doing. And uh-huh. Rob Stevenson was over at Island and he's like, would you ever want to come here instead? Yeah. And I was like, okay. And it was like $25,000 less than what I was getting offered by Warner Brothers. But I had no idea what I was doing. So, so, so let, me, let me ask you this real quick then. Again, because you, know, you said like at the beginning of the spin thing, you were still really trying to figure out what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and you, you, you sort of happened into this. I mean, at this point, you know, you've, you've been at spin for a while and you're, you're, you know, you're being um, – Courted by record labels, are you still trying to figure out what you want to do? I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do. Like right, right now right as we're now. talking. Okay, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny because like I have like my career is fine, and like yeah. I've got like I've always kind of stumbled into a situation yeah. where like we got like a Forrest Gump thing happening. Yeah, I'm yeah. a total Forrest Gump. <laughs> like I've actually compared myself to Forrest Gump on many occasions. Um, and I'm glad my boyfriend's not here because he would kill me. But, you know, he, we've had many discussions about, like, our lives. Yeah. And his thing is he needs to get his um, his light, his career in order. You know, he's 40 years old, wants to make sure that he has, like, a career. I get up. that. I get you that. You know, like yeah. a guy does. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm my age. Like, I'm 34. And I'm... I've got my career shit done. I've there's like you've ever, ac- you've accomplished it. If I've ever had a bucket list, if I could have yeah. ever created a bucket list, I would have done it all. Yeah. You know, and then there's things that happen. I'm like, I didn't even know this was on my bucket list, yeah. but now it is. And like, I'm glad I did it. Um, and so the thing that like I want, I've always wanted to do and that like Tracy Pepper, who was at you yeah. know, editor yeah. at Spin has always like reminded me that I've always wanted to do this was have babies, you know? 
And like, all I've wanted to do is have kids. Yeah. And I don't know why. And like, it's just one of those things. Like, I grew up in like an Orthodox Jewish family. Yeah. And like, that's what we do. We have babies. And yeah. So for me, it's like, I never, like, my goals at the moment is to have a family. Huh. It's it's a weird not not a lot of people experience it, but it's a weird place to be in to have ticked off your bucket list at thirty four, <laughs> right? I mean that's Yeah, I mean I guess so. I never I mean, honestly my bucket list mostly contained uh getting famous enough that my parents wouldn't give me a hard time if mm-hmm. I had a non Jewish boyfriend. Yep. And having, Yeah. <laughs> having babies. Check. <laughs> yeah, so so number two. So what, what do you? I actually have no idea what you're doing right now. Oh, so I'm the music director for Rizio, which is a women's fashion brand based okay. out of Canada. There's about sixty or more stores in North America, and it's like, you know, basically in Canada, it's like the J Crew of Canada. Yeah. Um, nobody knows it really in America. Um, in the U.S. So, what does a music director do for so them? So the music director selects the music that gets played in stores. And anytime there's like some sort of need for anything music related, mm-hmm. I choose it. It's the, it's like the best job I've ever had. Yeah. You know, I can't say it's hard. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it pays like better than any job I've ever had. Um, and uh, it's like awesome. I really like yeah. it. I mean, I play music and like, I, well, I don't even play music. I select the music that gets played in stores. People play the music that are working there and they're like, okay, we'll play this mix. We'll play that mix. Goes out and um, it's really nice. So you still get to, to be an influencer in a certain Oh, yeah. Respect. Like, yeah. so I had like the church's album mm-hmm. playing. Con- like I yeah. requested, like basically I made sure that the church's album was in uh, at least one church's song was in every yeah. mix, everything that I put out there. And um, and so people, I like was looking on Twitter and people were like writing like, never thought I'd go into a Ritzia to discover new music, but here we That's are. Right. And it was like the church's album. And we produced, um, I had pushed to like produce a music video for a Ritzia. Um, and so we did one for a band called Hearts called mm-hmm. All the Days. We produced a video for hearts it got over 200,000 views hmm. and I fucking love them so much so it gave me an opportunity to support a band that I really liked um and so I was like kind of like pushing my agenda that way well that's I mean that, that that's been a, a nice a nice theme across you know across this this whatever this career you've kind of cobbled <laughs> together um is is I mean that has to be ultimately the the bigger award is like you've helped make this band you've helped make their career i hope so i mean i just hope i gave them a good enough music video that they're happy with i yeah. guess it's getting played on mtv in other countries or something i don't know i don't really watch mtv here but i mean up to but you know like you know the killers and all these other all these other bands that you mm-hmm. were sort of at the forefront for like you've i mean that isn't isn't that isn't that the payoff for you that you've you you were there and that you you know you you helped these artists that you believe in make something of themselves i mean i guess so but you know like i don't it doesn't like end up on your epitaph or anything no you know it's just like awesome thanks like yeah. i'm glad it worked out i just like i'm always trying to connect people with like opportunities yeah you know my even my brother kind of like created this website called socialisting that like 
does that because he and I were always like oh there's this job opportunity here you go and so like for me like getting helping bands out Mm -hmm. was just like a job opportunity for them yeah where I was just like oh there's this job opportunity for you here you go and never really thought of it as any other way than that it's funny that you say epitaph though because like because you know you're 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 happy and you would be happy being remembered as just sort of being the conduit as being the as being the 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 connector yeah i mean that's all yeah i think like on my epitaph they'll probably say like thank you that is all because that's what it says on my email and that's what it's always said and like i've always just been like thank you you know i'm like really thankful for like anything i'm just happy to have anything i guess um but like i don't really think of my like a band wouldn't be successful if it if they weren't good enough to be successful sure you know so like whatever help i gave them along the way is like is useless if they didn't have what it takes to get there but on the but on the flip side you know if if all it took was was talent then there wouldn't be none of these things would exist if a band could just get famous by being good then spin wouldn't be around be you know be, you know what i mean like if if all it took was talent then you know people like you wouldn't need to exist I guess so. I mean, I somebody know. need. I mean, there need there, there needs to be. This this was a conversation. You know, this was a conversation I had um, with uh, with Mark from Boing Boing. Mm-hmm. Um, I a little ancestral, but I had him on the show, and you know, I was I was sort of trying. You know, I was I was kind of grappling with some kind of ideas about. I had like a little. I have a lot of mini existential crises, and this was one of them where I was, you know, wondering if um, if being the person if being a curator of culture, if that's, if that's actually a value, valuable position in and of itself, you know, if, if I'm actually bringing value to it, if I'm not actually being the person making things and, and, you know, and what he said was basically like somebody needs to be there. Somebody needs to be cutting through the noise, especially now. I mean, if anything, it's more, it's more important than ever before to be that person. Yeah. I was like, I felt like I was one of like 10,000 blogs when I was like yeah. doing my blog. And I didn't even know because it was just like a sobriety blog. So my parents would get off my ass. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it was like, I mean, there was not that much noise at the time. What, what year? Uh, 2002. Okay. No, wait. I launched my blog in 2003. Three. Okay. There was like no noise. And yeah. now there's just like nothing but noise. Yeah. There's nothing but like oh my god kids don't even get a chance to like sit with an album anymore i had okay computer on my in my disc man at least once a day for Mm -hmm. over a year and a half you know and like i lived with that album there's nothing about that album that i couldn't like recite to you Mm -hmm. if i needed to Mm -hmm. and like i was so happy with that um and kids don't have that anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't have that anymore. I, like, am into a song, and then it moves on, and then I have to, like, get into something new. So there's so much more fat to cut through. You know, I mean, it, I mean it's 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 still there if you want it, though, right? I mean, that, it's that all stuff there. is still around. It's just a lot harder to take in as a... It's all there, but if you want to like be relevant, you have to know about everything else that's there, and you have to know everything about everything. Is it else important that's there. for you at this point in your life to be relevant? Mm, I mean, I still get pressure about it. Yeah, like who's a big thing? So it's still 
what you do for a living. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I get to, like asked like, who's big? Who should I listen to? Yeah. And if I'm like churches, their album came out in September and yeah. like that's old news. Fuck you. You know, that album's good. Just fucking listen to it. Yeah. Deal with it. Um, yeah. I mean, Ms. Mister, I saw play at Hammerstein Ball. No, uh, Terminal 5 last week. Uh-huh. And that album came out like two years ago almost you know but they're still pushing it god bless them mm-hmm. like they're you know they're opening up for group love but they were they could have been headlining that show i still have this yeah i still have this like kind of creeping dread of you know everybody i've talked to at like a certain point um talks about how they can't they you know they they they, they can't get into new music they're not really interested in new music how and is I'm, that possible i'm afraid i'm afraid that that's you know, I'm, I, I certainly am not writing about music nearly as, as much as I used to. And it's at some point, right? At some point you have to. At some point people just get stuck in their ways, right? Isn't that, isn't that an inevitability that you you just stop caring about new music? Mm, I did. I had like a really bad nervous breakdown for a while. <laughs> like, you had a buzz bin nervous breakdown? <laughs> I mean, it was bad. Um, basically, well, I had two. First one was, like, after my record label went to shit. Yeah. I mean, 2007, when I tell people, when I show people the time period that I had my record label, they're, like, people working in the industry, they, like, put their hands on my shoulder and they're just like, I'm so sorry. In terms of, like, the larger context of Basically, the industry? that was the steepest decline in yeah. music sales of the past like 20 years and so like that's when i did my record label i had so many fucking good bands on it Mm. so many good releases but they didn't sell anything and that was heartbreaking for me it was like i felt like i was letting down so many people i had 30 kids 30 kids if not more i mean maybe i forgot a couple of them um and uh i felt like i was letting them down and so i uh that happened and so i started like a marketing company with some of the people that Mm -hmm. i did the record label with uh one of those people stabbed me in the back real bad uh and i and like at the same time my like i found out my ex-boyfriend was cheating on me and like it always happens all at the same time it always does family drama that was happening and i like woke up every day crying and like couldn't listen to music and then a couple years later, like, I couldn't listen to music. And, like, people would tell me about new music, and I was like, I can't even focus. So I went to go get a job at, like, a marketing company that had called Edelman, PR oh, no, marketing Edelman. Yeah, firm. Of course. Yeah. That had nothing to do with music, but then they, you know, I knew about music. And so they put me in, like, you know, you're going to do the Axe music stuff. You're going to do this music stuff. And I was like, okay, cool, fine. Got a job at Nylon. That was fine. I was a music director there. My dad got so fucking sick, like, where I saw him have a cardiac arrest, essentially die one day. (laughs) I was, like, talking to him, and I didn't understand why he wasn't talking back to me and why he wasn't, like, looking at me. He had, like, this stare out there, and I thought he was just being dramatic, and I was like, look at me, Dad. Why aren't you paying attention? And then uh, I, like, called for a nurse to come in. And she realized he was having a cardiac arrest, and I was shuffled out. Like, 30 doctors came in, palled him up. Anyway, I had, like, a breakdown at that point, couldn't listen to music. Uh, And then (laughs) 
I heard churches. <laughs> and, oh, geez. Uh, so this was all this was all pretty recent then. Yeah, and then yeah. I heard. I mean, it was like 2012. I yeah, think? yeah. Uh, and then I heard Hearts, and it was like those are two brand new bands, and I like cried. You know, it's like mm. I'm like I'm feeling again. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, and that was like kind of. Uh, how I like got back into listening to new music, but like before then, I like couldn't even listen to music. It's a weird, it's a weird thing because, and, and this is, and I've had a, I've had a lot of conversations with people who like a lot of like critics and people who write about things, but it's a weird thing where, um, you know, I had this with comics. I was doing a lot of writing about comics for a while, and it made it harder for me to enjoy him when it became my job yeah yeah and it's it's interesting to hear you say that because what should be um cathartic and what should be kind of an escape for you had had the exact opposite effect i mean if you know if anything like music should be is supposed to theoretically be this thing that's um that helps us through these tough times yeah yeah no i know and you just had a you had like a block on it oh my god i can't even tell you um, so these pillows that I have, which you can't the see. The Ian Curtis pillows. Yeah. So yeah. it says hang in there and it's an Ian Curtis imagery with like, uh, uh Dr. Seuss <laughs> font and it's a pillow with like a edging of like a, a rope. rope. Yeah. Um, that I just about... got the, I just got the rope reference by the way. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a little slow on the uptake. <laughs> That came about because I was listening to a lot of, like, I mean, the music that I would listen to was, like, Joy Division because it was one of those things that was just, like, helping me zone and, like, whatever. And uh, I went to go see some band. I think it was Steel Train uh, Mm. with my brother's now uh, fiancé. And uh, I was like, these guys are so happy. And, like, for anyone that doesn't know, Steel Train ended up turning into basically fun. Um fun the band yeah uh and i was like these guys are so happy they're like the hang in their cat you know and i realized that like joy division was my hang in their cat because hmm. they were like the band that like made me feel better and uh it's like you know that that was my catharsis i guess at the time it's it, yeah i i um i i uh i worked at a radio station in college mm-hmm. and um I had a friend who did the the blue show and, and and at one point I sort of asked him you know how can you you know you know and uh, at least ostensibly like blues music I mean it's in the name right it's mm-hmm. it's depressing music yes. and, I mean, and where, what comes first the name or the yeah like the well, name of the of the music or like the emotion yeah I mean I think it's the emotion because you know when you really get right down to it a lot of these songs I mean that's it's it's people living a really fucking hard life you know yeah. these are people who are basically like sharecroppers at this point singing about their lives and and i asked him you know how how can you how can you listen to this music all the time and and not be depressed mm-hmm. um you know and to, and to him it was sort of like you know it, it, the creation of the music was this way of sort of transcending the um the state that your life is in and it's and it's i mean obviously there's uh, uh, element of comedy there but but to hear that like joy division you know <laughs> what that was your that was your happy fun time escape music <laughs> i don't know if that's and i don't know if that's a a sign of like 
what dark of a state you were in or or as sort of a testimonial to the you know the transcendent quality of music I mean, I think it was both. I was in a really dark place and it was also really transcendent because yeah. there's like an interesting thing with Joy Division where it's like very rhythm based. And mm-hmm. so you almost like you get like this energy where you just want to dance and you just like want to let off this like Which feeling. is what he did, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like um, and so it kind of like encourages you to like like move, yeah. which at the I mean, I was like uh, it was bad i was laying in bed nonstop and like couldn't get out of bed was like crying every morning um and uh and so it is kind of i guess somewhat ironic that joy division was that thing for me there you go uh, a music critic record producer dj blogger uh record label magnate she was the uh the manager of uh, her own stolen transmissions records uh with island def jam uh, rock band manager she managed stella star and my chemical romance at one point uh, a woman who, who wears a lot of hats and a, a very good conversationalist as well uh thanks so much to ultra girl for for taking the time to to do that interview in her east village apartment um i've actually i've known i've known sarah for uh, i guess about 10 years now uh i met her when i was an intern at spin magazine about uh, about 10 years back a, a bright-eyed young recently transplanted to new york intern uh, that was actually the the gig that made me move out to new york in the first place and for some reason that i'm not entirely sure if I've, I've stuck around uh since then but uh recently i was reading uh mark spitz's new book his, his autobiography poser where he talks about uh, his time at Spin Magazine, um, which towards the end there, it's kind of overlaps with my very, very brief window as a, as a, a intern and, and writer over at Spin. And it's, um, it's, you know, it's a little strange to read somebody's autobiography and, and you know, if, even in the vast periphery, have it kind of, you know, uh, touch upon where you, where you were 10 years ago. So I figured, uh, you know, what a, what a good chance to kind of go back and, and uh, not relive, but, you know, kind of try to piece together that uh, kind of hate, now hazy point in my life 10 years back and talk a little bit about uh, music journalism. So I, I, I sent uh, Sarah an email and she was, she was more than happy to, to sit down with me and, uh, and, and talk about her time at Spin and, um, you know, and all of the, uh, the many, many things that she's been doing since. So thanks so much to Sarah for taking the time to do that. Uh, thanks to, uh, to Brian, as always, for editing this thing together. Thanks to Mark and everybody else at the, the Boing Boing Podcast Network for, for hosting the show. Uh, you can find the show every week over at boingboing.net. Um, you can also, there's also a, a, a Boing Boing podcast page over on iTunes with all their, their many fine shows. And it seems like there's another fine show every single week. So you can download us over there. And, you know, when you're while you're over on iTunes, why not take the time to, to rate us as well? Uh, we've also got a Tumblr account because it's 2014. Um, it's com. You can actually get the show uh, hours, if not days, before it goes up on uh, on Boing Boing. So, you know, you can you can have listened to the show several times before all of your friends are, are hip to it. Um, make yourself an expert, you know, or, or do some sort of, like psychic trick where you predict or I don't know you, it, it, the resources out there you can figure out what to do with it uh, we uh, man got lots of good shows coming up got got uh, actually a couple months worth of shows uh, lined up at the moment so uh, we uh, will be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL